five cats, two pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And this is episode 51. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) We are recording together on the back patio outside. And this is the first time that since we've been recording together like this that I had to put a hat on. It's getting freaking cold. (laughs) It is getting cold. It is pretty chilly here in New England. Yep. Uh, So we're going to keep doing this in this format as long as we can. Maybe we'll do it in sleeping bags soon. (laughs) Oh, no. You know, I did buy some new winter boots. Okay, awesome. Sweet. We'll be all set. (laughs) Snow pants and winter hats and mittens. (laughs) It'll be great. (laughs) We have got a great episode for everyone today. We've got another little historical story for everyone. This one about half-hanged Mary. Yeah. It's going to be dope. She was a cool (laughs) old broad. (laughs) Yes, she was. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get to half-hanged Mary, Lindsay, I finally did it. What'd you do? I have watched The Worst Witch. Oh, oh. Yeah. Aww. So, so engineer Dan and I watched the YouTube version, the like original '80s TV show one, and I have so many thoughts and questions. <laughs> 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 I, I will say, overall, I enjoyed it. All right, cool. My first thought was, that's the girl from the craft. Yes. whose name I cannot remember. There is a balk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like that she plays multiple witches. That was pretty cool. Uh, I really enjoyed the Hogwarts vibe that I got from it. Such <laughs> like, a like, Hogwarts vibe. I'm like, oh, look, look who ripped off Worst Witch. <laughs> 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 Down to like the striped fucking ties and the <laughs> Severus Snape like like badass, but like I really believed in you all along character. Oh, yeah. Um, what? Is that Hecate? <laughs> What is that? Hecate is that the one you're talking about? Oh, I don't fucking know their names. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the 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 gripey potion teacher. Yeah, the one with the cool bun. That's and the he- black. Yeah, that's Hecate. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I've been watching the newer like series on Netflix, right? And it's one of those shows where I enjoy it because it's it's kind of like a little kids show, and it's easy to watch and it's cool. But they just put out a new season on Netflix. And they changed the main character gal. Oh, bummer. Yeah. I think, I assume. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's a bummer to me because the new character, the, the gal who's playing the new, or the main character, the, uh, what's her name? Mildred Hubble. Yes. The gal who's now playing Mildred Hubble is just seems like a little too wide-eyed and excited and over-animated. Oh, uh, okay. And it bothers me. Fair. I have not watched the Netflix series, having just watched the YouTube one. It might not be a Netflix series. It, it is. Might it just is. be a, a different series that oh, airs on Netflix. Fair, 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 fair. I see yeah. what you're saying. But it is it is on available on Netflix. Now, does it have Tim Curry? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, see, that really... <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that really brought... The original together, <laughs> but at the same time, it made it so fucking hilariously weird that I just, I was like, why are, th- this is the only show that I could think of where I'm like, oh my God, teenage girls are like, damn Curry, <laughs> drool. <laughs> yeah, no. 
<laughs> no, nothing like that. Yeah, that was that was a lot. That was very over the top. I did appreciate the basket full of kittens and that, that just everybody got a kitten. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the new series, there is a kitten room. And when you arrive at the school, you go into the kitten room. Oh. And you get your kitten. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, are they all black still? No, nope, they're oh. all different. Oh, so the the cool ones are black, and then if you're if you're somebody like Mildred Hubble, you get like the calico one. Oh, I see. See, I think that makes you like cool and weird and special. Although, yeah. you know, I definitely would have wanted the black cat. Yeah, her cat eventually turned into a dog. Oh, I lame. Think, well, I think it was because she like one of her spells backfired as usual and <laughs> and it turned into a dog or something like that. I can't really remember. Fair, fair. <laughs> well, I have, uh, a, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lindsay, is there, are there some sweet musical numbers in the updated version? No. Because there's, there's, a, there's like three <laughs> musical numbers at least in the hour-long OG <laughs> Worst Witch. No, there are no musical numbers. I mean, there are there are times where like the entire school will be singing the school song terribly, or they will do some sort of little talent show, that sort of thing. But the musical numbers are not really good. I would not I would not say they are good. No. Well, at the very least, the musical numbers not being good is consistent with you. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out tambourine rhymes with Halloween. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> oh, my God. That, fi- that final song, was that, that was a lot. <laughs> they, they really did. In a, in a coke-fueled rage in the, in the 80s, write a Halloween song that Tim had to sing that involved what rhymes with Halloween... And they like there's a <laughs> there's a verse in there. It's like anything happens on Halloween. Hey, have you seen my tambourine? And he, just, <laughs> he just randomly played a tambourine. <laughs> oh. So grand, this wizard. Oh <laughs> uh, well. I guess I guess the pussies uh, recommend watching some version of The Worst Witch. <laughs> if you have not seen it, it's ridiculous. I'm sure that the current series on Netflix is is much more cohesive and probably a little more polished, but it was still fun. Got one more quick cat update today. Ooh. Okay, so last week was all about my my gal blue. Yeah. This week. My gal Pickle. Pickle. So I don't know if this is going to become a regular thing or not where, like, I look through... Holy shit. Sorry. Uh, a plethora of a flying V of Canadian geese just swooped the house. It's because they know I'm here and that I love them. Maybe it's because they know that we're actually recording this on Canadian Thanksgiving. Holy shit. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to totally <laughs> derail the entire episode because geese, but that was startling. Uh, anyway, Pickle. Uh, Pickle is also currently available for adoption on Pet Finder and is the most ridiculous looking kitten I've ever seen. <laughs> She's small and black and likes to make biscuits and looks very precocious and has bald lips. So she's got like giant ears. Her ears are twice the size of her face. The largest ears. And she's got like no hair on like the pout of her bottom lip. So she's got these little peach lips. It's very strange. (laughs) Such a cutie. But yeah, apparently she's a a sweetheart. Totally up for adoption. I'm like, do I need a third black cat? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) We have two lovely, healthy, happy boys that are really in their prime right now, and I don't want to disrupt them. But I'm going to keep occasionally looking at cats online and telling you about them because I think it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay. Yeah. You know what we got to do before we jump into I this totally topic? I totally do, and I uh, didn't even know until yeah. you <laughs> said it. I forgot. 51 episodes in, we got this nailed. Yeah, we totally got it nailed. <laughs> and it's all because Dan is looking forward to us failing. <laughs> Spite <laughs> candle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to light this bad boy. <laughs> she lit beautifully that time. You know, I guess it's kind of getting time to like start thinking about the winter ritual candles. No, sort of, no, 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 no. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> all right, all right, it's all right. It's not even Halloween yet. Oh fair my enough. Goodness. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> my brain goes November winter. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come right on back and share the story of Half Hanged Mary. Yeah. See you soon, witches. Welcome back. Thanks, dude. So, Half Hanged Mary. What a great name. Such a great name. (laughs) Automatically makes me want to know more about her. Fantastic. We're about to talk about her. (laughs) So I want to give a quick little overview of the story as a whole. And that's not for spoilers. It's just to give you an idea of what you're in for. And and then we're going to go a little bit more into depth on some of the key players of this story and what exactly happened. Yeah. So Half-Hanged Mary is a real person. That's first and foremost, I think, in this story. (laughs) Uh, She was a woman who was accused of witchcraft in the 1680s here in Massachusetts, where she eventually was hung from a tree. And according to one of several accounts, she was either left all night or at least for a while. And when she was let go or cut down, she was still alive. Not dead. Not dead at all, (laughs) because she lived for, like, another decade. (laughs) But this is, uh, much like our episode on Peg Wesson, it's a real person, uh, but this is a little bit less spooky folklore and a little bit more of a historical uh, account of of something that happened to a woman who was accused of witchcraft. The biggest difference here is she lived where many folks did not. <laughs> I have a quick question. I don't know the rules of this situation. Mm-hmm. And if this is a spoiler, then feel free to ignore my question when you're going to answer it later. But does that exonerate Mary from being a witch if you survive the hanging? Oh, so th- that's a spoiler. Okay. So, right. yeah, right. great question. Yeah. Great you. question. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back here with my tambourine. <laughs> So, uh, if you are particularly familiar with the witchcraft history here in Massachusetts, then even if you're not, honestly, I think almost everybody has heard of Salem Witch Trials. And because this involves a Salem Witch Trial, sort of wanted to place this in history along with those, sort of where it fits in. And so, this particular story of Half-Hanged Mary 
occurs about nine years before the Salem witch trials would even begin. Accusations of witchcraft were actually fairly common even in this time. So throughout the late 1600s, uh, very Puritan, uh, puritanical uh, communities here in the New England area. And this one didn't take place in Salem. So Salem is north of Boston. This particular story takes place in Western Mass in an area, I believe, north of Springfield called Northampton. Northampton is a city. Uh, the the town that Half Hang Mary lived in, Hadley, is very close to Northampton. Okay, yes. great. Uh, so I'm just trying to put it in relation to like stars or dots on a map. <laughs> and so it's a it's north of Springfield, Western Mass, not even close to Salem. No, cool. I don't know anything about <laughs> geography of Massachusetts. So that's that's sort of and when I look at it in my brain, that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> but, um, you know, in that particular area, Mary was not the only person who had been accused of witchcraft. So another witch, uh, Mary Bliss Parsons, was actually accused uh, and exonerated of witchcraft a couple of years earlier. So like 1675-ish. And, you know, again, these accusations were pretty common, but convictions themselves, like proving it and actually um, carrying out some sort of conviction and punishment was really rare until like the 1692-1693 Salem witch trial error. So this was before, a decade before all of that, sort of the precursor. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of like uh, spectral evidence. Yes, is what they called yeah. it, and uh, which is basically like feelings, yes. or like <laughs> dreams, or yeah. or out of body experiences, even uh, things that can't be proven, basically. Absolutely. And I think the other sort of bit of background information on this was something that I had never heard of before, uh, which sounds almost as if not more traumatizing. Uh, but essentially, uh, you know, being exonerated didn't absolve you from the like being found guilty in the eyes of the community. So, you know, that happens fairly often. Somebody gets accused of a crime, even if they like aren't charged with it. The community around them still looks at them and says, which. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that would be carried out quite often is something called disturbing witches, which digging into that could have been one of several things, but essentially it was bothering witches in their home to disrupt their spell work. The idea was if you if you go into their home and quote unquote disturb them, then they won't be able to practice their witchcraft. You've 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 disturbed them from their practice. But the disturbing itself wasn't just like, hey, yo, playing loud music, pushing you around. It was beating them. So people would break into their homes and beat them, restrain them, like do terrible things to these uh, women. And that would prevent them from casting their spells. I bet all of those fuckers just thought they were really brave. I bet they did, too, because they were going to the spooky, scary witch's house. Ugh. Fuckers. <laughs> so, I think that's all the background information you need to know. Everything else we'll tell you as we go through the story. Yeah. And our story actually begins in England. So, Mary was born Mary Reeve, daughter of Thomas Reed and Hannah Rowe Reeve. And she was born in England probably around 1624. In the 1600s, nobody kept very good birth certificates. And yeah. so it's it's a little murky, but somewhere around 1624. 
after that, and it's unclear when exactly they migrated to what they was then known as the Massachusetts Bay Colony, but the family ma- uh, migrated from England to Springfield. That's that area of Western Mass. And later on, quite late actually, uh, comparatively, Mary uh, then married William Webster. So that's where we get Mary Webster. Uh, Mary Webster got married in around 1670 to a gentleman named William Webster. He was 53. She was about 46. So she married like fairly late yeah, in life. That's quite late for around that time. They lived in the same town where her parents lived. Uh, and they didn't have a lot of money. They lived in a small little house and they lived in relative squalor. It's unclear what William did for for a job and at that point in time it wasn't very common for the women to have you know paying jobs so it's uncertain what brought them to this situation but they lived in relative poverty and often needed like a lot of help from the town to get by i hope the town gave them the help that they needed i i kind of doubt it because mary was kind of a jerkazoid dude like she wasn't really nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> she was, and because she wasn't nice to people, she was uh, she was not treated well. She was neglected, and some of the neighbors started to call her a witch. As you do. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, sure, sure, I guess as you do in that time. But, you know, I, I, I can't blame her if, if, you, if you're living a life that you're not super happy with and you're super poor and you don't have much and, and things just aren't working out. Like, I'd be kind of a dick, too. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Probably. So, so the neighbors start calling her a witch. And it was believed by the neighbors that Mary had put a spell on their cattle and horses so that they couldn't go past her house. <laughs> like she, she was like, I hate you people. You all suck. You're not going past my house. And especially your horses and your cows are not coming past here. So they were said to like, like the horses rear up and they wouldn't, they wouldn't go any further. So the drivers of like, you know, the caravans or whatever, whatever it was, they would go into the house and beat her. So that the animals could pass, much like how you were saying how they would like go in and and beat a witch up to keep her from doing her spells. This was what they were doing so that they could their horses and their cows could pass. Could you imagine if every time somebody wanted to walk by or drive by your house, a random stranger or even worse, somebody from your town walked in and beat you up or like restrained you until like they were passed? How insane is that? Yeah. It's How, fucking crazy. It's it is fucking crazy. There was also an instance where she was said to walk into a house of a friend, and as she's walking into this house, a chicken falls through the chimney into like a boiling pot of water. <laughs> <laughs> and the chicken got scalded. The chicken survived, but the chicken got scalded. And then the next day it said that Mary had a very similar burn burn like burning scald on her skin probably or potentially where the chicken also had it so they immediately were like the chicken was her familiar oh my she God. has the same scald <laughs> she's a witch so in the year 1683 mary was 60 years old the northampton 
County magistrates examined her on the suspicion of witchcraft. And they decided that they could not deal with it. They, they couldn't be the ones to judge this. So they sent her off to Boston for, Bo- for Boston <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> so she waits in jail until her court date, which is a couple of months later. So yeah, she's it's in, a while. Yeah, she's in jail for a couple of months when before evidence against her was heard. And they decided to indict her on the charges. They they said that she didn't have the fear of God before her and that that she had a familiar, like, from the devil. And they described it, this familiar, to be in the shape of a warnage, which is like a fisher cat. Ooh, and those are fucking terrifying. They are terrifying. <laughs> and they were like... Uh, and I quote, and and had his imps sucking her and teats or marks to be found on her. So it used to be believed that witches would have these witches marks like extra nipples where their familiars would like draw, like suck, suckle right. on them and like drink their blood. Right. I like to think that that's what the mole on the side of my neck is. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, eventually she was tried again. Oh, maybe um, about a uh, Maybe like a week later. So after all of this, she was tried like a week later and she was found not guilty of these charges. And she returned to Hadley. I wish that there was more written about the trial itself. Um, There's not a lot of documentation about this, but it would be interesting because they bring this like all this evidence against her. But then they're like, yeah, not guilty. But again, spectral (laughs) evidence. Right. (laughs) And I, and Exactly. And as I had just said, you know, this is fairly common for that particular time period. Yes, absolutely. So, so Mary goes home to Hadley and as the like jury of popular opinion has it, they still think she's a witch. So they're like, cool, got it. They didn't find you guilty. You're still totally a witch. Now in this town, there is this dude named Philip Smith. And Philip Smith was a judge and a deacon and a town representative. So he's like an uppity up. He is a person of character and renowned in the town. He's also been described as a hypochondriac. And he really believed in the power of witchcraft. And in particular, he believed his afflictions were being magically caused by Mary Webster in collaboration with the devil. So... He basically blamed Mary for anything from a fit of sneezing to he was prone to uh, to violent pains throughout his body that would cause convulsions and screaming. He was known to uh, to beg God for uh, for relief from the torment, uh, saying that you know this was the cause of a witch and he didn't deserve it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he verbally accuses and specifically identifies. Mary Webster, as the witch who is causing this. And after this, some strange things begin to happen at a sickbed. So pots of medicine mysteriously are emptied. Sometimes when people were holding him down during one of his fits, they'd hear scratchings around the bed. Uh, Some people said that they saw fire above him, so like flames uh, licking above him. They felt something as large as a cat sit on the foot of the bed. They felt it. That's what they said. They didn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) They said they felt it. (laughs) But eventually, 
Philip Smith dies. But that's not where the weird shit ends. Because after Philip Smith dies, his corpse has swelling in one breast, bruises on his back, and holes in it as though they were made with awls. So I think an awl is like this pointy ice pick thing. As well, although he apparently died on a weekend, his body was still warm come. So like he died on a Saturday and his body was still warm Sunday afternoon, although it was cold outside. So apparently that was a big deal. Although I don't think that that was that long for something to like truly cool down with the gases and the whatever. But aside, (laughs) uh, come Monday, his face was discolored with blood running down his cheeks. And finally... People heard a bunch of strange noises in the room where they had put his corpse for display because he was, again, a prominent person in town. It really just sounds like steps of being dead to me. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree. But, uh, But he had, remember, he had specifically chosen Mary Webster as his witch that was causing all of this. And he was a very rich and prominent deacon. And judge. So, oh. you know, you gotta believe him. You gotta believe the old rich dude. Blech. <laughs> <laughs> so, within a few years of this happening, there's this guy, Cotton Mather, who published this story, Memorable Providences Relating to Witchcrafts. And Cotton Mather was this, like, he was a minister and he was super involved in the Salem witch trials uh, and even before it, like anytime there was mention of witchcraft within this, like, you know, decade or two, he was there, he was prevalent, he was writing about it and he was putting his word in. So he published this book in 1689, just a few years before the witch trials. And it, it, it actually followed a book that was similar in content published by his father, increased Mather, just a few years before in 1684. I love that his name is, sorry, Increase. Dude, That's right? a first name. Uh, it's like, so like, This guy's a dick, but like his name is Increase. How cool. So it's actually, Increase is the literal English translation of Joseph, or Yosef in Hebrew. Which, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Which means, uh, like, Yahweh will add or, or uh, Yahweh will or shall increase. Basically, like, you're increasing your offspring. Right. Basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Weird, right? Increase. <laughs> cool. But Joseph or Joseph is way better than increase. Increase fucking sucks for a name. So... He he writes this, like, publication, but it's really not known to what extent these solicitations may have had directly to what ended up eventually happening with Mary. So we wanted to mention, you know, Cotton in there because where it gets a little tricky is there's a couple of different... Uh, a couple of different versions to this story. So, essentially, version one is during Smith's, uh, the, that guy that we just finished talking about, Philip Smith, during his illness, <laughs> uh, it was believed that some of the young men of Hadley 
would disturb Mary Webster. So while uh, while Philip Smith was in one of these fits, his friends essentially would go to Mary Webster's house, rough her up, and while they were there disturbing her, Smith would feel better. And they did this uh, at one point. The account in um, in a particular book is that. Uh, while Smith was sick, a bunch of his friends went to try and beat up the quote-unquote old woman um, to go beat up Mary Webster. They dragged her out of the house and they hung her until she was near dead. And then they let her down, rolled her in the snow and buried her there, left her in it. And it just so happened she survived. But the melancholy man or Philip Smith died. I read a slightly different, very, very slightly different account of this where they hanged her and they came back the next morning, cut her down. And after they cut her down, she rolled around in the snow, just like acting, being crazy on her own. Now, that's the one that I had been most familiar with as well, uh, was that basically... Uh, rather than trying to disturb her, they were re-accusing her. So they were basically saying, okay, the courts didn't find you guilty, but we find you guilty, so we're going to hang you for it. And when they, again, like you said, when they went to cut her down the next day, she was still alive, and they can't hang her twice. They can't hang her (laughs) twice. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, one of the areas of confusion from this as well is because Mr. Cotton Mather, who is kind of the predominant accounting of this tale, actually rewrites it himself. So he publishes his story, and then he publishes it again in 1702 with a totally different reprinting. Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) And the reprinting after the Salem Witch Trials have, like, you know, been going on and finished, his reprinting uh, actually is more in line with the Salem witch trials and what people were like thinking and feeling at that point. So he changed his story to be more popular opinion. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. (laughs) But uh, either way, you can only try a person once for a crime. And in the town's eyes, she had been tried. She had been hung for witchcraft and she survived. So you can't do it again. And that basically exonerated her, even though she then earned the nickname Half-Hanged Mary. And depending on the account of when she died, which also flexes by three or four years, she lived for either 11 more years or 14 more years. Yeah, or somewhere in between. Or somewhere in between. (laughs) She was probably around 75 when she died. Yeah. She is buried in the old Hadley Cemetery in Hadley, Massachusetts. And I'm not sure if she has a headstone, but maybe that could clarify some things. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to go check that out, you know, when it's safe to to go gallivanting around Massachusetts again. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely on the list of graveyards to go check out. But yeah, yeah, um, Mary Webster, half-hanged Mary, actually tried for witchcraft, then hung by a jury of her peers and exonerated through it all by sheer will of living uh, and and lived to give up yeah. hell for another 11 to 14 years. <laughs> you, you go, Mary. Could you imagine being her neighbor? Just being like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It seems like she was in the right and that her neighbors were 
her neighbors sucked, so she just yeah, hated oh, them all. Oh my <laughs> god! Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. she got married late because she those guys were all those guys were morons. <laughs> well, that actually brings us to an interesting point in this story. So there's no record of children, which is totally fine. But there is this account of she got married, and there is a uh, genealogical record of her husband dying, and he died two years after she was hung. So where the fuck was her husband yeah. in all of this? What the hell was he doing? <laughs> no, like he doesn't factor into this. It not, like Mathers doesn't mention it. This other dude Hutchins, who did an account of it, d- doesn't mention it. Nobody mentions the husband beyond they got married and he died. Right. Yeah, so weird. So I I can only make the assumption that he was either in on it, which would have made it much more interesting, and they probably would have wrote about it, or he was a total deadbeat and like wasn't worth writing about even a little. Yeah. So fair. Totally fair. <laughs> either way, I thought that was a very cool story for Half Hanged Mary. Fantastic. The only window we have into this story is a dude who is trying to clearly be like a popular writer. A popular writer and impress his dad, who was also the president of Harvard at the time. He was. And so, yeah, this super puritanical anti-witchcraft dude ran Harvard and his son was like, Daddy, I also write books on witchcraft. Yeah. And (laughs) actually, Cotton, I think, tried to become president of Harvard. And Harvard was like, we're good. <laughs> uh, poor cotton. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck cotton. <laughs> Sweet. Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back. And there's a little bit more, not necessarily to the story, but to the lore of Half Hanged Mary that we want to share with you. But we'll save that for just a second. We'll be right back. Totally. See you soon, witches. <laughs> Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Half Hanged Mary. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention a couple of artistic inspirations that that story has uh, has spawned. Yeah. Um, So the first is a poem by Margaret Atwood that is like seven pages long. So I'm not going to read it. Holy shit. (laughs) It's very long. Uh, But if you're not familiar, I mean, I sort of always assume everybody knows who Margaret Atwood is. But if you don't, she's a Canadian author. Um, She's very famous. She's won a bunch of writing awards. I don't particularly care for her writing. However, um, she believes that Mary Webster is some sort of familiar ancestor of hers. Though there's no definitive proof of this. It's just sort of Margaret Atwood says it's true, so therefore it must be (laughs) true. But um, she did write this beautiful poem all about half-hanged Mary and Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale, is also dedicated to Mary Webster. Uh, I don't particularly like Margaret Atwood's writing, but I do like this poem quite a lot. And I do recommend looking it up and reading it for yourself. kind of goes through the, uh, the overnight hanging version of the story, but it breaks it down into these time chunks and how Mary would have felt. Uh, going through that experience of being hung but not dying. And I thought she did a really, the author did a really good job of going through, you know, not only the physical sensations, but the mental torment of that. And I will read the one little uh, excerpt that really sort of stuck out for me uh, was at the sort of end of the poem 
when they are going to cut her down, uh, the the poem goes, tough luck, folks. I know the law. You can't ex- execute me twice for the same thing. How nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I was basically, I just imagining Mary Webster giving a giant bird to everyone. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> There's a song out there about half-hanged Mary, too, by a gal named Elizabeth Cook. And we've both listened to the song. We're not going to play it, probably. Uh, but it's kind of like a country song, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's got a it's like a pop country song. It's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. I don't know Elizabeth Cook. I'm not familiar with her music, but um, this song um, really, you know, again, sort of goes through uh, her experience. But it m- definitely puts Half Hanged Mary in this like position of power, where it's like you know beware of her unbridled power hell hath no fury uh you know and like kind of goes through uh, this experience of you know what's it like to be to basically be free to be a witch because you can't be accused of it again so right. now she can really go crazy yeah yeah cool song check it out all right so I think back at the beginning of the summer, we gave a little episode on some of the things that we're going to read and do over the summer. And I wanted to give a little recap on that. Ooh, cool. Yeah. So one of the things on my reading list that I wanted to get done over the summer was to read a novel called Silver... No, Cycle of the Werewolf. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read Cycle of the Werewolf by Stephen King. It's this like novella, novelette. Um, It's not very long. It is very good. And it is the basis for Silver Bullet which we have also watched this week. Cool, dude. (laughs) So, yeah, finally got to see Silver Bullet. It was pretty good. It follows the novella pretty closely. There was a fucking star-studded cast by comparison. Like, I was really surprised. Like, Gary Busey is in this. And the dude who plays Locke from Lost. And one of the Corys. And, like... I would just and oh and <laughs> Megan follows Corey Haim <laughs> and and Megan follows who's Anna Green Gables who I grew up with mm-hmm. like I was just very surprised at the quality of acting for this what should have been just a B horror movie but was actually pretty good oh cool good practical effects good pacing uh, yeah good it, it mostly follows the book and the deviances are fine it didn't ruin the story at all Ronnie yeah Terry O'Quinn. Thank you. <laughs> not the dude that played Locke. <laughs> come on, come on. What person doesn't see him and think, Locke? <laughs> Sometimes it's the same as like, you know, I, like, I don't know, Mark Hamill is fucking Luke Skywalker. Like, it's just the way it is. <laughs> Fair. He's not the dude from Star Wars, though. <laughs> Fair. I can imagine a world where Gary Busey plays the Grand Wizard in <laughs> The Worst Witch. I need that Busey yes. energy. I can see that. I need yes. that Busey energy in a lot more yeah. things. I, he doesn't have quite the, like, sexy swagger that, <laughs> that Tim Curry was trying to pull off. I feel like... <laughs> A remake of this needs a little Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> oh, wow, Ronnie! All fantasy right. casting, fantastic. Casting. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw a Silver Bullet, and you loved it. Yeah, I did. I, I thought it was great, and it was a lovely addition to our Halloween horror list. Uh, we engineer Dan and I always make a little thirty-one for thirty-one kind of thing, and we don't always watch thirty-one movies, and we don't watch them in order. But we've got our horror list for this year, which I'm happy to like put up on the Instagram and share. But 
kind of curious, you know, we're now into the thick of Halloween season. Is there anything, Lindsay, that you are like, okay, must watch? No. <laughs> I know. I haven't, like, yeah, I haven't I haven't thought about it, oh, honestly. Fair. fair. Uh, well, maybe listeners have a suggestion, something that maybe Engineer Dan and I haven't thought of. But if you do, you can absolutely drop us a line at 5C2PPod, uh, Gmail, or Instagram. And let us know what we should watch, what horror movie we should watch, and more importantly, where we can stream it. <laughs> because uh, that was definitely one thing. We made our list, and it was a very lovely list. And we went through, and it was like, ah, available for rent, for rent, for rent. Oh, no. And it's like $150 later, we can rent, like, 29 of 31 movies. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, so we've we've made some adjustments to the original list, but... It's very important to us that we go through and, and watch as many sp- spectacular movies as possible before and on Halloween. <laughs> Love it. So what are you, what are your essentials, listeners? Drop us a line. All right. Man, I wish somebody would give me a cool name like Half Hang Mary. Not, not that I want to earn it. That's the problem. I don't want to earn it. And those names have to be earned. And I do not want to be hung. But... <laughs> Right now, I can so call cool. you a slouchy hat, Ronnie. <laughs> it beats being called the dudette from the tree. <laughs> slouchy hat, Ronnie, and wandering bush, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. Well, we've gone into Goofy Town, so I think it's time to say goodbye. Tune in next week for episode 52. Cannot wait. Yeah. But until then, no pervs, no Nazis. Totally. Panda! <laughs>